The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Wearables have been the next big tech frontier for years, and it feels like with smartwatches and connected devices, the moment is here for widespread consumer adoption. One New Zealand company has been at the absolute front edge of innovation for 20 years, with the team behind Christchurch company Myovolt, Dr Diane Jones and Steve Leftley, working on wearable tech with NASA, Apple, Adidas and Nike. And now, after helping select customers like that interact with spaceships, iPods and Olympic athlete muscles, they are launching their first major consumer products, a series of devices to help with muscle recovery. The range helps stimulate muscles and are a new approach to recovery and perhaps a hint at the beginning of all the ways our garments will help us in day-to-day life in the future. To talk the journey, their new range and innovation, we're joined by founder Steve Leftley of Myovolt Now. Kia ora, thank you for being here. Good morning, how are you doing? Hey, good, thank you. Hey, so tell me, how did you get into this really interesting field of wearables? Um, I come from a, a, originally as a scientist background. I worked as a, as a textile research scientist in a company um, down in Christchurch, um, originally called The Wool Research, and then moved to a name called Kinesis Research. And I come from a chemistry background, and we were working uh, on lots of technical finishes on textiles, looking at um, specifically at different like finishes to impart different functionality to the fibres, lots of um, dyeing auxiliaries and processing chemicals that are used in industry and how they can um, create different um, features in the textiles. And um, one of the projects that we were we started looking at um, back then was how to bring smart finishes onto onto fibres. Um, and so I was working specifically looking at chemical finishes. So how we could um, bring some electronic functionality, colour change functionality, lighting into fibres, and some of these very high end features to bring about what back then we were thinking might be the future of textiles. So it was a it was a research group that was formed to look at the future of textiles and how we could get there, what are the steps that would be needed to get us there. And then I was involved in yeah the chemistry treatments to try and do that. Um, and so that brought us together into a group looking at futuristic smart textiles. And we took this group 
um, over to the UK. We had some laboratories over there. We wanted to get closer to some of the big electronics design firms like Philips Design, Nokia at the time, and, um, and get embedded with some of the universities over there who had some quite high-end research and some smart materials as well. So we set our research division up over there and went to work. Yeah, as textiles, you know, are in and of themselves a form of technology. What 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 is the kind of the the state of um of the industry? Like, you know, if you look at uh, your marketing from all these techie brands and all of the um you know uh, sports brands and stuff, every single one of their new products seems to have some kind of um, trademarked name of the technology behind the fabric, and it moisture wicks that, and it uh, repels this. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. What, what 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 is the state of, of all of that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, large sportswear companies in particular, you know, have very creative marketing departments um, to tell very large stories about quite small granular <laughs> features. And um, I suppose, you know, a, a lot of the a lot of these features are reasonably, um, you know, chemically low tech, but. You know, they're looking at small, small features and small improvements in those fibres and then telling big stories about them to give them branding advantage. And I guess th- what we were doing was the antithesis to that. We were looking at how to create very big changes, material changes that can, where, where fibres are actually part of a, um, a working technology system um, in the cases where we turned the fibres into, into el- electric carrying cables but they still performed like cotton, wool, polyester fibres. You know, so these were quite, um, I would say, big stepwise changes in that technology, and we didn't have any um, barriers on what we what we could do as well. We were able to just decide what, where we wanted to take it and then conduct some basic research and then hoping that the customers would, would find us with those sorts of technologies. Um, it was a pretty open brief. We acted like sort of university academic researchers rather than commercial entrepreneurs creating technology. Um, and then obviously we've, you know, obviously we've moved along that pathway throughout our careers, but we started off pretty in the pure science field. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess that with um, every single person in the world wearing textiles in some shape or form and, you know, your soft furnishings and the, the seats of your car and all of these other places – it's this enormous uh, canvas for doing things um, that currently is is pretty inert. So is that yeah. kind of enough of a rationale for just being like, oh, let's just go have a tutu in the area and see what we find? Yeah, no, well, it, it, you know, that's exactly right. I mean, it's a massive, massive industry. Everything we touch and come into contact with is, is, has textiles involved with it from obviously clothing, but I mean, you know, massive uh, industries built around industrial textiles, every surface of the interior of automotive, aerospace, you know, they're all textile surfaces, carpets, um, you know, so any, anywhere where fibres are involved, there's massive amounts of industrial research required to provide new features and finishes and durability and, and make these products better and, and, you know, achieve different levels of what the consumers are after. So, you know, uh, the organisation I worked for, we were tapping into the research streams um, from those industries, got funding from private sector, government funding, depending on the you know, government's um, supporting funding that supports industry and textiles to create 
better technologies for fibre producers, for um, textile producers, so that they could, their products are more competitive in the market. And particularly um, when we were at wool research, we were looking at to try and advantage wool in the market. You know, we were trying to create technology finishes to make wool more special than it already was to compete with other fibres um, that were going into products. So there was a, you know, there was a distinct sort of um, agenda there uh, where that research was headed. Yeah, and are some of the outcomes of that research, you know, the fact that Allbirds is developing so many things around wool today and um, face mask companies using uh, kind of specially bred and selected wools in order to create filtration mm. and the like? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those brands now, they're keying into really into the natural aspects of the, mm. those fibres. Um, but yeah, 20 years ago, we were looking at how to apply, how to make these fibres super with superpowers, you know, to take the fibres and add finishes to them to make them heat up, light up, conduct electricity, change colour, um, imparting um, chemicals and other, um, um, even drug delivery using, you know, using a microencapsulation on fibres to deliver drugs from the fibre into using a fabric. So they're quite high-end, high-ranging um, aims that we were going for and... And yeah, some of them, some of them were quite successful. That's so cool. And how did that lead to you working with people like NASA and Apple on particular projects? Yeah, so that, so that that, that range of research. One of the uh, one of the areas that we were looking at was um, trying to create um, electronic textiles. We knew that we knew that um, that creating fibres or fabrics that could become circuit boards or conduct electricity and become an electrical system would have applications because people were trying to bring electronics um, in contact with with fabrics um, in cars and aeroplanes and other features. And so we were really trying to look at how we could make a soft version of an electrical circuit. And we ended up like weaving a lot of um, electrical um, conductive fibres and creating our own conductive fibres into a system and we created some pressure sensitive um, garments. So we started off by making, getting a fabric and we turned it into a, an electrical pressure sensor and that was just one of the research projects that we did. And, um, and then we, when we realised there's a lot of commercial application um, uses for that. When you, when you create like a pressure sensor out of a fabric, there's all sorts of things you can do. You can turn it into a pressure pad and a garment that can sense somebody in it or a fabric that can sense someone sitting on it. But one of the, the other things you can do is you can turn it into a switch. And, um, and we quite quickly realised that a switch built into fabric had applications in the commercial area and um, obviously in clothing. And that's when we started to show this technology. We, you know, showed it at technology shows, and it was reported on by Tomorrow's World on the BBC in the in the UK. And and then, yeah, we started to come into contact with garment companies who said, "Let's put some of these switches into garments. We'll control some things." We didn't know what at the time, and we had to sort of think about what where where that might go. Um, but we started working with um, some sportswear sportswear companies who wanted to um, control some uh, music players. And we, the first project we did, we worked with a company called Burton Snowboards, which is one of the leading snowboarding companies in the US. And they had a relationship with Sony Electronics. And um, 
so we, we, we paired those two up and we created a switch system for their um, snowboarding equipment or the garments that linked in with a Sony at the time a mini disc. I don't know if anybody remembers any of that. <laughs> but this was they were revolutionary at the time. They, f- they phased out pretty quick. And um, and so that was quite a revolutionary um, technology. It was on uh, it was named as one of Time Magazine's um, best inventions of 2002, I think it was. And Steve Jobs saw that, and um, he was launching the iPod at the time, and and he decided that you know Sony Mini Displayer probably wasn't the future, and has he and and it, and it was actually. That launch was still reasonably, apart from the Time magazine piece, is it, it, it was reasonably low profile commercially in garments, um, and so he decided to um, bring us together um, with Burton as well to uh, make interfaces with for the iPod, and so we developed, yeah, the, it was the world's first washable control keypad, um, and all 100% fabric controls. And integrated it with a control module so it could control the original iPod that came out. And then Steve um, launched that at the uh, Macworld keynote um, in 2003. And he was wearing the jacket. And so that was quite a big deal for us. Um, yeah, yeah. What was that like for you after years of working away in, like you say, like a real like pure science environment nearly, um, away from commercial application? And then by discovering and developing something cool, Next thing you know, you're in Time magazine and 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 on stage with Steve Jobs. Yeah, it set set us on a completely different path, really, because we were very research focused. Our day to day jobs really involved a range of research projects. Some of them, which ran multi years, we were involved in writing funding applications to government research organisations in New Zealand, Australia, the UK. We did some military funding as well, and so we were you know, white-coated boffins in the lab, really, and then, um, you know, and then creating these 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 components that had commercial end uses, we very quickly decided, okay, we need to set a company up to, to push this further and commercialise this technology. And um, we set up a company called Soft Switch. So myself and Diane, we led that company, set it up, scaled it to um, around half a dozen staff, and produced, I, I guess, those products for Burton and other ski wear brands and some other really interesting clients as well. We made several hundred thousand components, I would I would say, over a few years. Yeah, some of those components found themselves into some really amazing, amazing areas, you know, outside of Apple as well, some of that we thought were even more interesting than that. Yeah, cool. Like what? What were, <laughs> what were, the, <laughs> what were the wins there? Um, so... Yeah, I mean, so we got a lot of attention um, from those types of products from um, from military and um, and we we started to make some controllers for um, flight suits for jet pilots for um, DARPA and the US Air Force. They were interested in um, looking at how controls could be built into battle dress uniforms and uh, flight suits um, to give more of control surfaces to the pilots who everything's on um, cockpit avionic boards and they they're interested like head up displays and things like that were only sort of starting to come into into reality and so they were looking at all sorts of opportunities to add electronics into other surfaces and then so putting them on the pilot was one of the obvious ones 
and we did some control um, electronics for um, some um, jet pilot suits for the US Air Force. Um, a lot of these projects go into silos and um, then no one talks about them. We don't talk about them. This is a while ago. And you, and you wouldn't know which were deployed and are not deployed, um, but they go through a testing process and that was what we, we developed that for them. Another one we developed was for um, for some NASA spacesuits. And the same sort of thing, they saw the opportunity um, to develop con- like controls into the suits. So um, ILC Dover, which is the company that makes all of NASA's spacesuits and has done since Apollo upwards, um, they've got a centre over in, in the US, in Pennsylvania, and we've been over there several times. And and amazingly, like sp- spacesuit technology, it really moves along at a very, very slow pace. They look for very low-tech, low-failure-type systems. Um, you know, they're still using water-cooled tubes running through the suits with w- liquid water running through there to keep astronauts cool and warm as well. Um, so they they changed the technology um, suite very very slowly in those in those areas and and we had a we worked with a project that was looking at a a, a ten year development program to integrate electronics um, towards at the time which was looking at Mars landings and they wanted to put um, rover controls lighting controls um, heat cold controls into the suit. And so we've provided and developed like Kevlar-based switches for them um, into their suits, and the suits have the suits have very a lot of textile layers. Um, they're very complicated items and bulky and heavy, and, and but lots of um, materials go into them um, to make them ballistic proof. And and so we had to develop some switches and controls that could fit between those layers but still remain soft. And and those suits got got made by Elsie Dover. Went through an astronaut testing program out in the desert, and and um, and, and then they they file um, their like usability reports and that sort of thing. So that was so we would, we did quite a lot of approaches like that. So all the way through from consumer switches that you'll see on the shelf to stuff that's deep in a military silo that you'll never see again. And you know, it's only time allows us to talk about some of these things now, even. Yeah. Wow, and what a what a trip to be on uh, to be, you know, flying off to work with people on projects for NASA and in secret military research projects because the military, of course, you know, DARPA has been such a um, such a a cause of innovation and uh, hard science and so many things in day to day life that we take very much for granted come, yeah. come out of military research, don't they? Yeah, it, it does, and really interestingly. Um, and serendipitously, I guess for my vault is that our wearable vibration was tested by NASA first, actually about 30 years ago, when they were looking at it, applying um, um, vibration into into suits to be used in the space station to stop the reduction in bone density of of astronauts. So that was one of that's something we found out a, a bit later, actually, but it's one of the original uses for, for for wearable vibration way back then. But yeah, we worked with a lot of interesting companies. And at the time, um, not really sort of starstruck by any of that. I, at the time, the, 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 we were working on a lot of interesting projects. And they were all interesting in their own rights. And we're juggling um, a fledgling 
um, business of building and making things that have to perform for consumers as well as these other industrial customers and you're not you don't you're not really sitting back and chin stroking and and thinking I've just been hanging out with spacesuits and with they're getting to Johnson Space Center you don't really think about that you're just thinking about that at the component level what you're making and uh, hoping that it's going to work well for them. <laughs> Sweating a wee bit too about that. <laughs> yeah, the, the failure has a big cost in those environments. And and tell me about just as one thing on the way to MyoVault um, that that you know many people may have heard of that hit the news, the Olympic athlete technology with the clothing that helped to keep muscles warm in between warm-ups and races and the like. And uh, that got a lot of attention because people were like, well, it's performance-enhancing clothing, which was kind of a sideways kind of situation in the no-performance-enhancing um, zone of the Olympics. How did you get into that? And what was what, what was the link between that technology and where you've ended up with your new products? Yeah, um, so yeah. So after Soft Switch, we set up um, um, a company um, by ourselves to commercialise a wide range of wearable componentry research. And a lot of that did still end up as controls, joysticks, keypads into clothing. Um, we produced switches and controls for most major outerwear companies, um, all the way from the North Face to Marmot Patagonia, um, Bonfire, Rip Curl, Quicksilver, all the all the all the ski wear brands pretty much put some kind of con- controls into their garments, and we were the predominantly su- the supplier of that. But that brought us into um, you know quite close contact um, with sportswear companies, and sportswear companies are working on lots of things uh, in the background and embedding electronics into um, some of the products that they supply athletes is one of them obviously and we were a bit of a go-to for integrated electronics for adidas for a while uh, we'd supplied quite a bit of stuff to nike as well but adidas was a, was the one that we really really got quite embedded with with ait um, over in Herzo in germany and and in portland and oregon where their main research centers are and we've supplied them with um, lighting technologies that have gone in, heating technologies. We've worked on some pretty far out um, products that they won't get to market to do with inflation jackets and all sorts of ways of creating insulation improvements in the jackets. And and one of those areas um, was um, um, developing heated technologies um, for those um brands and they were interested in um, athlete heating. We had a bit of a relationship with Adidas and they uh, worked with Loughborough University in the UK. Um, People who don't know Loughborough is the world's leading sports science university in the UK pretty much accepted and they were doing some really nice research on how human muscles can increase performance by increasing the heat profile through the muscle it's basically just like a tire warmer effect on f1 tires you know you heat the muscles up um, and if as long as you get that heat right down through the depth profile of the muscle you can increase the power of the muscle and so that's a that at the moment is still a legal enhancement um, and so they so adidas um, worked with us to 
um, bring that about into a product that could be delivered to the athletes. Um, Adidas see their role as supporting their their elite tier one sponsors. Um, in this case, it was British Athletics um, and the British Olympic team, and we helped deliver the technology that went into those garments. So basically, we developed a garment for them that um, could heat up the major muscle groups. Predominantly, we worked with the Olympic cyclists to start with, but it rolled out to lots of other athletes. And uh, the garments were designed by Adidas. We developed all the technology inside them, and then the modality of the science was all researched by Loughborough University and reported in um, published journals. And the research was quite interesting. You know, to validate it, they had to bring athletes into the laboratory, obviously heat them up, check their power performance, but they had to prove that the temperature was right down deep into the muscles. They had to put probes deep down into people's muscles. It's quite uncomfortable for the participants, I think. Um, But it was a nice body of research, and it, it was a really good example of creating a product backed by research, published, and then the performance gains going right through to an athlete, and then you see them up on the dais wearing a gold medal at the end, and the British Olympic cycling team um, were the world's best at the time. This, this was for London 2012, and they um, used those those garments. Um, I mean, for us personally, the interesting part of that story really is that like, we developed that heating te- fabric technology Adidas had a use for it, British Olympic Cycling um, implemented it, and under under an NDA we were also working with the Australian Institute of Sport completely um, independently, developing exactly the same technology in a different silo, unbeknownst to Adidas, and Adidas unbeknownst to Australian Institute of Sport, and then um, when they turned up at London 2012 they both had different versions of the same technology didn't know the link. So that is a really good example of commercial research carrying out under secrecy agreements um, effectively and legally sound. (laughs) And and tell me, what's the difference? Like, how does the technology work in the instance of that muscle warming uh, clothing technology compared to wrapping yourself in a great big blanket between exercises, for example? What what, what are you you doing to stimulate the muscles and, and to get right deep through them. Yeah, so I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of things going on at the muscle uh, the muscle cellular level, but basically that that keeping that that temperature um, the muscle at temperature allows it to deliver um, a higher power performance. So it's, it's all to do with readiness and oxygen delivery to the to the tissue. Um, I'm I'm not a medical specialist, but there's lots of research that's going on around that area now. And but you know, for for an athlete, normally they would have to um, they would have to be sitting on a bike in the velodrome. This is for track athletes, or on the side of a track for the um, the track and field athletes, staying warm by moving those muscles, and they're expending energy doing that. Yeah, they're having to expend their energy they want to use during a race or during their performance, keeping warm, and also they don't know exactly how warm they are they're just doing a prescriptive level of um, exercise on the so- on the side of the uh, of the track and it's disruptive so there are um, you're able with, with this type of garment you're able to just put it on wear it push a button and deliver the muscle temperature to what you want it to be um, like heating a pie up and basically unzip the pants or the jacket and then go out and perform immediately so it's kind of like being able to switch your 
muscles on to 100% or to a high level. Um, and that's where we really, that's, that's what we're really interested in. We're interested in how textile technology or garments can really lift human performance or, you know, really increase someone's ability to perform. And, and that, you know, up, up until that point, garments technology to increase performance have really been passive things, like the things you talked about before, you know, te- technologies that are just surface treatments or construction technologies in the weave that allow something to be more comfortable or move a bit better. But this is actually delivering a treatment to the body, um, kind of like a, um, you know, a drug-free performance-enhancing treatment. Um, and so there's sort of a lot of opportunity in being able to del- deliver technologies like that through your clothing. So it was quite new at the time and um, still remains quite you know, niche and new, but it's definitely the future. Kia ora, Duncan Greve here, managing editor and host of another spin-off podcast you should subscribe to if you haven't already. It's called The Fold, and it's about one of my all-time favourite topics, one I've been reporting on and obsessing over for some years now, the chaotic but incredibly exciting and fun New Zealand media industry and scene. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts, and join me for in-depth analysis and interviews with some of the most influential and interesting players in New Zealand's media. Speaking of the future, tell me about the MyoVault products that you've now set up under your own own company and recently released that are treatments for muscle recovery. And like looking at the pictures of them on the website, they kind of look like a, a knee brace that you might get from the physio, except much more futuristic looking. Uh, and they they stimulate the muscles to help recovery. How, how do they work? And what was the idea that got you into the space? Yeah, so after we developed those um, garments for um, for athletes with, that used heating, we really, really knew that that's the area we, we wanted to get into was like performance enhancement um, and potentially into, into the medical areas of that as well. Um, and those garments used heat. And, and um, so heat is, obviously uses a lot of power, they were bulky garments. They were bespoke, so they had to be constructed for each of the athletes because they have to fit you very well, like a tailored suit. Um, so that made them quite expensive um, and not really a- any use for a consumer wearable market. So we wanted to look at technologies that, we could, that could be delivered in the athlete, for athletes into a very wide range of athletes from not just elite athletes or Olympic-level athletes. So the technology had to be much more usable than that. Um, so we switched away from heating to look at um, other modes of um, stimulating, enhancing performance and power and recovery in muscles. And um, focal vibration was, was the mode that we, we chose in the end. Um, we'd, we'd been working on vibration for quite a few years before for a military project, um, which involved um, embedding vibration into a flight suit for a helicopter um, test, um, test pilots uh, with the Dutch military. And, and that was um, used for haptics, actually. It wasn't used for performance. So it was used to tell the pilot um, through sensations in their vest, uh, on the back of their vest, what altitude they were flying at, 
um, and the the um, attitude of the of the aircraft, rather than having to see something through a display, um, so they were interested in control electronics for the suit um, during brownout conditions, which is where you're landing in, in a dust storm and you're overloaded with um, um, instrument um, data and maybe maybe you're getting shot at as well. So it's, you know they were looking at ways to de-stress a pilot by giving them feedback. Um, through their body rather than through um, heads-up displays or looking, having to look forced to look down at instruments on the panel, giving them a, something that was like a sensation on their back um, to tell them how high the aircraft was. So we, we developed um, some wearable vibration for that. That's the backstory on why we were using vibration. And we knew that focal vibration was being used in medical devices, um, predominantly, um, like I said before, right from... When NASA was looking at it for stopping um, bone degradation initially, and also vibration was being used in medical devices to increase circulation, speed up wound healing, and also treat muscles in physiotherapy clinics. So we knew that those types of um, devices that they were using, which were big handheld tools, um, potentially could be miniaturized using the, the technology we used in that flight suit. So we thought, right, let's miniaturise that that frequency of vibration that they're using in those medical devices and turn it into a garment. And so we made a variety of different suits with vibrators built into them that were based around different joints and muscles. And then we simplified that down into a modular form so that it could be applied across a wide range of joints and something that might be a bit more consumer friendly, something more adaptable that you could move between different joints with a, um, quite easily. And so we settled on that sort of modular system that was still a soft package with the technology built in, and then in, and then embedded that into a what you call a sports strap. So it looks just like a sports strap. It's got the technology embedded into it, um, and that's the form that we've gone to market with. Initially, we looked at embedding it in a in a suit, you know, making a full suit with it. Um, and we're looking at some much more complicated versions of it as well that cover a wider range of areas. But um, for that one um, that, we, that we've put into the market now, we've gone for a nice discrete system that can be easily applied across different areas and really tried to simplify it. And that functions as a sports strap that also helps you recover faster, which is, is so cool. It's like that promise of um, you, the textiles or the fabrics around you uh, helping to do an extra job yeah. to the one that uh, you you you're used to seeing. How's it going for you? Like, um, how's the how's the? I mean, it's been years of development, has that, and science to prove that the focal vibration does uh, speed up muscle recovery. How's it gone to launch this new product? And you know, have physiotherapists been you know wildly interested? Have you know sports coaches been really excited to bring it in? Um, yeah, how do you, how do you take something that's familiar but new to market? Yeah, it's really difficult. Is the short answer? You know, the science side for us is a well trodden path, and was yeah. So we spent around about four years uh, in development and clinical trialing with um, different sports, physio, physio universities and medical universities. A lot of that work's ongoing as well. Um, quite a, a lot of that clinical research has been published to show that this device works and how it works and what it can do um, and what 
you know, some of the features that have, that have been validated by, by research. And that takes several years to get that research done, to get it published. You can't enter a physio clinic or a sports strength and conditioning coach's office without that body of research to lay on the table and say this is you know this this is what sets our technology apart from some of the other let's say more holistic things on the market that don't have a physical medicine function to them um, this is a physical medicine device it's, it's applying a physiotherapy type treatment to the body um, but you have to have some a body of work to prove that and that yeah so that's taken some time and now we've sort of got that we're getting um, physiotherapists and sports coaches on on board and and other sports physicians as well interested in the technology and how it can help athletes and I guess more importantly in a wider sense is how it can help um, people with lots of other conditions as well so there's a a lot of wide use case for the technology outside of sports. Recovery is a very big field; it covers a lot of different things. Um, you know, we're interested in functional mobility, and you know that that encompasses a lot of different things. It's to do with how your muscles and joints become sore and stiff, and why they become sore and stiff, and how the, your circulation is moving through the muscles, and how that affects how your muscles and joints work and and obviously for sports people you know that they're interested in incremental gains any any like soreness or stiffness or injury they're recovering from they want it fixed and as soon as possible and ready to go again um you know if you're a professional rugby player um or a, a coach or a trainer you've got a you've got a you've got a, a a body of players that you've been allotted and who are in your team and you need a certain percentage of them playing each week, week in, week out. And, you know, if any of those are unavailable through injury, it's it, it, it becomes serious. Um, so, you know, the, the, a lot of these, these players are interested in getting the recovery done right and getting muscles treated and performance enhanced faster and and getting them back on the field at, at a high level. And we work with Ironman athletes, and they're interested in um, lots and lots of training, which causes lots and lots of body damage. And um, you've got to rec- find ways to recover from that. There's a lot of tools you can use, a lot of professional treatments you can use, physiotherapists, massagers, sports phys- physicians, um, processes, and then we're one of those tools that you can put in the toolbox to um, speed that recovery up. And does that mobility piece, you know, for people who are, you know, older or having um, mobility issues, you know, is your average kind of iron um, person athlete your average 80-year-old in terms of, um, you know, body body requirements? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's a lot of similarities between an 80-year-old and like a 25-year-old iron, iron person, iron man, <laughs> because they – you know, they're basically ending up with a lot of um, sort of joint and muscle inflammation and and an 80-year-old might see that as osteoarthritis or a musculoskeletal issue or they may have been an athlete throughout their their lives as well and just be carrying old injuries like we all are as we get older from doing the things that we, we've we've done physically. And, um, yeah, and then in my vote, it's a tool that they can use to mediate some of that some of the, those issues that they're having on a daily basis. So it's all about a daily use tool that can be used, 
to help your muscles and joints warm up and recover, prevent a bit of that ongoing injury as well if it's used as um, used as a pre warm up. But for for people who are who are say um, older and carrying around a lot of chronic issues, then they're in, in need of a, in, of daily use tools, tools that they can use to reduce soreness, stiffness, increase their mobility by 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 mediating those things. And we've got some really nice research going on out in the UK at the moment. Um, with some universities looking specifically at my, using Myovolt for osteoarthritis and and um, other chronic circulatory diseases to do with um, diabetic neuropathy and you know and circulatory issues with people who have serious conditions that affect their movement each day and this this type of technologies and other f- wearable technologies that we'll be developing in the future you know these are these are solutions that people can use in their homes each day you don't necessarily need a doctor to to administer them and i think that's the way of the future is being able to heal thyself a wee bit mm-hmm. and use all the technologies and tools that are available to do it and how exciting is that for you after years of making really quite specialized use cases for the technology you know the odd fighter pilot the odd astronaut, the odd Olympic athlete, to now be kind of moving to uh, bring these innovations to the masses. Yeah, it, it's it's very challenging. It's super exciting. Um, but, yeah, it's very challenging. We're, you know, we're innovation researchers. We're always chomping at the bit to really try and go on to the next level of what, what we're doing. Um, myself and Diane, we're both very research-driven, so... We're really motivated by some of the medical research that's going on and how we can create something that's a really high impact to a wide group of people. But we're also running, um, setting up in, in, in high growth phase of a, of a very new company. And so we're very deep in the entrepreneurial grind of um, fundraising and, and, and management and, pr- and production management and marketing and all of these things that obviously all companies have to go through to survive and be successful. Um, but yeah, we're super excited and always distracted by how we can create a much better wearable medical device in the future. And that's, we really, you know, we really see some amazing potential in that area. And it's, it's really good. When, when you see some of these research trials and with 100 people who have very serious condition and who are going in and, and, and conducting um, as, as clinical subjects in the trial and seeing how they can really have improved mobility using tools like this and seeing that get published is very, very rewarding. And I guess that's sort of our research coming full circle from some of the more I don't want to say frivolous technologies that we've worked on because the NASA one probably not, but you know, looking at consumer electronics integrated clothing for um, music players, um, you know, and then leading right through to looking at medical technologies that are wearable. I think you know this is, I guess, sort of what we've always really been working towards, and feels a lot more um, mature and a lot better impact involved in that in that that area of technology it's really good and as a final thought what will success be for you and for myovolt yeah i mean we we really want to lead the innovation in this area you know we created this wearable 
um, performance enhancing field to a certain degree and certainly on the wearable vibration therapy area we pioneer this area now and we really want to be the innovators in this space we really want to be creating the clothes that you can just press a button or an app control to heal yourself with you know the full Star Trek tricorder type technology where you can apply technology to the body and just heal heal yourself so you know we want to see myvolt devices in the home in people's garments in the clothing they wear each day and we see the future in that that's so cool thank you so much for uh for sharing the story today that's our founder of myvolt steve lifley kia thank you thank you peter dylan for producing and thank you very much for having us along in your ears and listening cheers You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound and brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.